Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Uh, hello, welcome to the next episode of the Giant Chatter Podcast. This time we're not talking about any events. This time we're actually talking about, uh, well, the season the season review. Last year you got it in like a two hour, 15 minutes episode, I think. This time we're doing it differently, mostly as the Challenger Tour has finished uh, a couple of weeks earlier uh, this time. And you're going to get it in three parts, probably three, definitely two. Uh, and yeah, we're going to start from uh, from the Challenger Tour finals. Uh, before I hand, hand the microphone over to Jakub, who prepared all the basically all the data that we're going to be using in this episode, and kudos to him for that. Uh, I have to say that if you don't remember the Challenger Tour Finals, it was an event organized between 2011 and 2015. Uh, every time in Brazil, I think in different cities, there was basically seven uh the, the seven uh, highest ranked singles players like you know when it comes to points earned on the challenger tour in 2020 in in, in the in the year and a brazilian wildcard i think here we're probably going to talk about the eight guys with most points uh, there was no doubles at that event but we're going to mention like who would have played who would be playing in a hypothetical challenger tour finals uh, i think uh, after 2015 the, the the brazilian sponsor just sort of withdrew and since the next gen finals are here right now uh, there's basically no plans to introduce that event again but we were both fans of it i know a lot of challenger tour fans who enjoyed it you know who enjoyed the hell out of it uh, this was where i uh, became a fan of Guilherme Klesar and therefore we need to yeah we need to uh, sort of you know talk about who would have made the hypothetical challenger tour finals if they were held at the end of the uh, of the 2022 season yeah yeah, so I think we can start with who would the Brazilian wildcard be? I feel like that's a pretty okay. interesting guess. Uh, who do you think was the highest ranked Brazilian player in Challenger play this season? I mean, Monteiro played a lot of uh, Brazil played a lot of challengers. I think at the beginning of the year, especially. So I would believe it's Monteiro because he won the also. I think he won to one hundred twenty five Ks, right? So, um, yeah, I, th I think it has to be Monteiro, but I suppose that Meligeni Alves is not going to be that much further back, right? Yeah, that's exactly correct. Uh, Monteiro was 33rd, 332 points, as you mentioned, two 125s uh, that he won that were huge for him. Overall, he just made just one other semi outside of that, but still 18 and 6, uh, 332 points for him. 75% uh, win percentage for him. Um, and uh, yeah, Melgeni was very close behind him. I think it was four spots. Mm -hmm. So he had uh, only 10 fewer points from um, challenges than Montero. But obviously, his were much more spread out 22 events uh, compared to eight. So yeah, Montero, I think, would be a very interesting addition to this field if if they, if they this, if this was how this would exist. Uh, obviously, number 71 would be among the maybe higher ranked players in there, which would be. Pretty interesting. Uh, but yeah, so he would be the president of the wildcard. We also have alternates. Uh, we're going to sort of, you know, go from 10 to 1. I think that'd be fun. Okay. Uh, 10 
was Roberto Carballes Baena. Uh, so he doesn't make the finals. He's the second alternate. Two titles, two finals, uh, 32 and 12 uh, on the Challenger Tour. 430 points that he earned. Um, I feel like we picked him also quite a lot, which we'll talk about in, in uh, uh, a different episode. Um, but yeah, so so he doesn't make it in, and neither does Michael Moe, who was ninth, uh, with two titles, two finals, misses up by just six points uh, um, to the to the main field. Um, but yeah, what do you sort of think about the season these two have had, Carbaez, Ben, and Mo? Yeah, honestly, if you were if you were to ask me, like to name the top ten, uh, you know, guys by points earned on the Challenger Tour this year, I don't think I would have gone for either. I basically didn't realize mm-hmm. that Carbaez Bayana played this many challengers, and I definitely didn't realize that Mo has this many points. But yeah, that that's sort of the reality of how good Michael was in the second half of the year, uh, because yeah, he was he was just probably playing the best tennis of his life even though he was in the top 100 of course just for one week uh a, a few years back but uh yeah he, he's really showing that top 100 quality again now and Carbaez Baena I think many times this year we've mentioned that he's gotten more comfortable playing on the attack he has a great serve now even well perhaps not great of course it's not like um a top 10 <laughs> a top 10 serve but it's it's an actual weapon he can he can use to get three points and it's it's really turned his career even upside down in a way of course this has been his best year and i just didn't think he played this many uh challengers you know because he made uh, a pretty deep impact on in 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 a couple of atp tour events as well uh especially you know fresh and fre- still fresh in my, our memories i think beat, beating berrettini um that was uh that was so <laughs> very cool for him and indoor indoors was it i think it was indoors right florence or something like that uh so that that's a that's a completely wild upset so yeah uh surprised that these guys are there but it, it makes total sense just just quite uh stunned by the fact that carbez played this many challengers as i thought this was a year where he you know really progressed to the main tour but i suppose that will be next year then yeah, I mean, it feels like every time that he did come down, he was among the the favorites for the title, uh, which was a pretty interesting feeling. And he sort of retained it throughout the season, even though uh, he ended up playing much more than we than we expected and even remembered, maybe. Um, but yeah, onto the main field, we start with number eight, who is Vasek Pospisil. Uh, two titles, two finals, seven semifinals on the uh, Challenger Tour. Two final losses, of course. Uh, so four finals total. Uh, he went 35 and 13, uh, earning 446 points in 15 challengers, and it's the year number 100. What did you think of Pospisil this year? Yeah, I keep wanting to say that we talked about something earlier in the year, but then I keep realizing that we talked about everything. So, you know, it's a little redundant. Yeah. But yeah, Pospisil basically had an awful summer, mostly through health issues, as we as we understand at least. At least. And yeah, uh, whenever he was on the Challenger Tour and healthy, ready to play, he was basically a, a beast. This is just another one of these times in Pospisil's career where he wins a few Challengers in a, in a in a short span and then gets back to the top 100, then falls out of it, then has to climb back. This has been, you know, Vasek Pospisil's singles career in a nutshell. And it, it seems like this is maybe one last push we'll see he's 32 so it, it's definitely a possibility but 
yeah, not. Uh, I also wouldn't think he was in the top eight. Like I just didn't think he played enough. But it makes total mm-hmm. sense because I think he had like a crazy win loss record, especially indoors. So uh, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, uh, he had he had this very interesting season of starting super strong, starting on challengers, um, and then suffering this horrible injury that kept him out for for months on end. Uh, that kept him out from being. I think, and like a, like an efficient player, even like early in the comeback, it really wasn't uh, possible to be. So at the end of the season, he really improved uh, and recovered really well. So I'm I'm really curious to see how far can he make it uh, now in this push towards the main tour. As we said, probably one final push in his career. Uh, and number seven, we have Ben Shelton, three titles, three finals. Um, three, three final losses, uh, eight semifinals total that he reached, 35 and eight uh, is his record, 81.4%, which I think is the best um, uh, best win percentage out of anybody in this field. Um, 474 it's, points in, ah, in, in this field, it is, yeah, because yeah, it was, in, fair, it was in, fair yeah. on the overall list. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, so, 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 so within the top eight, he's the best one. Yeah. Uh, he ends the season at number 97, made the Australian Open. Uh, incredible season for Shelton. Uh, what, what did you sort of think of it when you look back on it? Yeah, I mean, all, all, all anyone needs to know is that he started the season in June and yet he's in the top 100. Yeah. And that, that's really <laughs> all there is to say, you know, 40 and 11 for the year. Uh, before 2022, he only had two Challenger Tour appearances. In one of them, he reached the quarters. I think in the other, he didn't make it past the qualies. Of course, he's not coming back to college, which is 100% the, the right decision when you're in the top 100. And, you know, with so much, uh, with so many opportunities ahead of you also to climb, because, well, for until June, he's not defending anything. Uh, so yeah, very, very obvious uh, top eight guy, as you said, uh, amazing win percentage because he actually played plenty of matches compared to Draper or Wu, who uh, who have more and you know the higher percentage in this statistic compared to him, but they they didn't play as much as he did. Uh, yeah, and that that three week um, that three week streak that he did at the end, of course, the, the three titles in a row, uh, the youngest player to ever do that, three titles in three consecutive weeks on the Challenger Tour. That's that that definitely like made a superb season, absolutely legendary. Uh, and yeah, without them, he wouldn't be here. Of course, he wouldn't be in the top eight of the of the Challenger Tour. And yet, despite playing just eleven events, if I'm counting it right, he is eleven yeah, Challenger it's, it's, Tour events. That is, of course, not uh, not uh, not all events. Yeah, he really just speed ran the Challenger Tour yeah. in one sit. <laughs> <laughs> and he's never gonna play it again, right? Right, probably. I mean, if he gets injured, yeah, it's possible, but uh, he's probably never gonna play it again unless he plays something in the beginning of 2023. But I mean, you know, yeah, it would be very surprising if we see him back on the challenge tour next season because you, you have to think that with the level that he's shown. He, he has to be able to break through on the main tour. Unless um, for some, you know, Columbus, Cle- Columbus, yeah. I think, was uh, cancelled. But, you know, something like that. Cleveland at the beginning of the year, something like that. If if it's something random in, in the States, it's possible. But uh, it's unlikely, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and number six, we have, we have Emilio Gomez. Uh, two titles, four final losses, eight semifinals total. That he reached 37, uh, no, sorry, 38 and 15. 
uh, 71.7 win percentage, uh, 478 points in 17 challengers, ends the year at number 107. What did you think of Gomez? Yeah, you sort of coined, uh, <laughs> maybe you didn't coin the term, but you uh, you kept calling him a smart scheduler throughout the year, which I think is very right. <laughs> he really picked uh, good events to play, like, I don't know, Salinas, uh, you know, the, the, the easier sort of... Um, events in like the the states like winnipeg for example he was just really good at showing up at the events where he should be if you if he wants to gain a lot of points in fact if he won temuco which was i think a very uh, big deal for him because if he i, I think even if he uh, beat andreozzi in the semifinals there at the end of the year at the end of the year for him uh he would have been like straight up into the australian open main draw now he needs to hope for many withdrawals uh, so that was that definitely sucked. That was a poor finish to the year. In general, his finish to the year was pretty. Um, you know, it wasn't as good as as the rest, yeah. of course. Uh, but other than that, you know, if if he won the Muko, he would have been at forty wins, which uh, would put him second in the you know most match wins uh, for the year, uh, which kind of tells you how how amazing it was. And of course, to break the top one hundred and the at the age of thirty is is pretty insane as well. Uh, even especially as it didn't really feel like he, you know, did something special, changed his game that much. He was just able to produce it with more consistency, more efficiency. Maybe choose better events, as as, as we mentioned many times, and and yeah, and then he got an, a fantastic reward for it because yeah, to 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 break the top one hundred, the age of thirty, of course, isn't uh, isn't uh, common. I think uh, that the oldest guy was Munoz de la Nava who was like 33 and Estrella Burgos was a couple days younger so uh, so it's really I'm, I'm not sure how many guys are there between Gomez and these two but you know it's not going to be much yeah I mean smart scheduler is absolutely correct we, we, we've said it throughout the year um, I mean if you look at his ELO uh, rating for example he is behind Adrian Andreu or Nerman Fatic, like when you compare the opposition that he has faced throughout yeah. the year uh, compared to these guys. And that is, you know, at some level, you get to choose what, what level of competition you face. And if it's for the same points that you would uh, do for, you know, against like stronger players, why wouldn't you go do it? And he did that throughout the season and it really paid, paid off for him. Unfortunately, as we said, couldn't crown it with the Australian Open main draw. But I think he'll be among the favorites to to qualify. We'll see what his what his section is once that comes out. Um, but yeah, I, I think overall we have to expect a bit of a regression uh, for for next season. Uh, number five was something that uh, was someone that surprised me a bit. It was Gregoire Barrere uh, with two titles, uh, three finals losses, and uh, no other semifinals. I don't think that was, that was all of them. Uh, just the five semifinals, 37 and 23 on the season, uh, six, uh, 61.7 win percentage, which is uh, lowest, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, by by quite a bit. 506 points and 25 challengers ends the year at number 91 in the rankings. What did you think of Barrier's season? Yeah, also not someone I would have thought was going to be here, but I mean, sure, he he definitely had great spells throughout the year especially indoors in France, which is always his kingdom, as we mentioned. He also made a final in on clay, on clay in France, which is slightly uh, more unusual for him. But in general, he's just, you know, always speaking in France, which you know, at this point, it's pretty wild because you know, most of the year, 
I'd say what he plays like 40% of his events in France or maybe 50% max. And yet he gets basically all of his good results there. Uh, but yeah, I, I think he mostly yeah. succeeded in huge events like Quimper, Aix-en-Provence, uh, you know, or, or, or Orléans. And that's, that's why he's got so many points because I think of all of these were 125 Ks. Uh, so that was pretty huge for him. And yeah, and it allowed him to return to the top 100. Uh, definitely had moments this year where he played like that guy again, although there were also very dry spells. So that's why I, I wouldn't really think that Barrer was going to be here. How uh, big is the edge between Mo and Barrer in points? Uh, so between Mo and Barrer, we yeah. have six, six points. That's, that's pretty substantial. That's like one almost challenger 80 win. So that, that that's 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 not that not that little. Yeah, I mean oh, we, we have seen amazing tennis throughout the season. His uh run in Axon Provence was amazing. His running in Queen Pair, as you said, was amazing. Um in Orleans he was great. We have seen him also take some really horrible losses <laughs> throughout the season over the course of it. Six one six left to Milojevic in, in Blois. Uh, lost to Sweeney in the first round of the Australian Open qualities. So consistency may not be his, uh, you know, game outside of France, but, uh, you know, he he showed some great runs throughout the year and certainly earned his place across, you know, 25 challenges as opposed to some players, you know, have 17, 15. But, yeah, got there. At number four, we have Tomas Martin Echeverri. Who made uh, who who earned uh, one one title? Uh, have had four final losses, uh, nine semifinals overall, forty one and sixteen on the season. Five hundred and forty points in seventeen challengers ends the year number seventy nine. What did you think of Echeverri? Yeah, I mean, we talked about it many times, but he sort of established himself as that guy who always reaches the quarters, semis. Uh, final yeah. even rarely actually gets the title. It's very wild that he only has three of them because last year he made 15 quarterfinals. I can't, you know, I can't remember how many he made this year, but it was definitely over 10 as well. So um, yeah, that the the efficiency rate in in turning his uh, quarterfinal runs into titles uh, wasn't great. But you know, this was a year where he played many major events. And yet he still got, I think if I counted right, uh, if I counted it right, um, you know, just, just a second ago, I think 13 quarterfinals. So compared to last year, it's definitely a bit of an improvement as well in how efficient he was on the challenger tour. Uh, because well, he, he didn't play as many events, I don't think at least. So, uh, yeah, huge. Uh, he's also in the top 100, of course, and, and pretty deep there now. Uh, despite well, most a lot of his points coming from uh, from uh, the ATP Challenger Tour, he still hasn't done much on the main tour. But yeah, whenever we see Echeverry in the draw, we're basically thinking, should we pick him? And yeah, that's that's maybe the best uh, the best recommendation there is. Really, I mean, the, the guy just always goes deep in in clay challengers, and you can really rely on him like ninety percent of the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he always gets to the, I mean, nine semifinals is wild. And just one title out of that is, is I think, quite poor and a bit disappointing for him. Um, but I think even though he didn't sort of play his his best as he as he sort of felt like he did throughout last season, um, he still he still got there a, a lot of times towards the towards the end of the tournament. So 
yeah, I, I think overall pretty impressive season from Echeverri. Let's see where he can take it, if he can take it to the main tour at all. Uh, and number three, we have Constant Lestien with three titles, two finals losses, eight semifinals overall, 40 and 17 on the season, 566 points in 20 challengers, ends the year at number 65 in the rankings. What did you think of Lestien? Yeah, another guy like Gomez who broke the top 100 at the, the age of 30. But here we, I think we actually saw, you know, a completely different guy. Uh, of course, we sort of always knew that if he somehow pulls it together, he has the talent. But there was, you know, he was never healthy for a long period of time. He was never mentally composed as well, which, you know, maybe hasn't changed 100%. But he definitely made his serve to be a weapon as well. And yeah, the, the I, I think it was around the, the grass season where we started noticing that there's just, uh, you know, we, we're seeing a different side of Lestien uh, because he was making like challenger semis on every surface. There was, uh, there was some, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. the, the, there was just so, so many, so many deep runs. And then, yeah, in the summer, he just completely ran away with it. Uh, three, uh, three challenger titles in five consecutive events. And he, actually has made some major impact as well already. Uh, talking about the semi in Tel Aviv or the quarterfinal in San Diego. So yeah, fairly out of nowhere, not completely out of nowhere, but fairly out of nowhere. He he gets uh, a, a brilliant season and a top 100 finish. Uh, of course, even if he thought that maybe this guy had top 100 potential, at 29, no one was really thinking he, he was going to do it. Uh, and yeah, and yet he's done it. And of course, he's a very deserved uh, number three here and a strong candidate for uh, most improved of the year award, which we're actually going to do in like a later episode. I think he's definitely one of the nominees in there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's extraordinary what, what he did throughout the summer. It was it was wild. Uh, and yeah, as, as, as we said, uh, followed up a bit on the main tour, semifinal in Tel Aviv. Um, was to was to judge there be Cressy, Rusovori, Manarino. Yeah, I'm really curious to see where he can go with this uh and how far he can go before he has to defend all those all those points in the summer. Um at number two we have Pedro Cacin. Four titles, three finals losses, eight semifinals, 38 and 11, 604 points and 15 challengers, ends the year at number 57. What did you think of Kachin this season? Yeah, speaking of guys who are, well, <laughs> good candidates for most improved. Uh, yeah, uh, it all started, it feels like, with this team win in Marbella, which, uh, you know, at the time it, it was team's first match since nine uh, nine months. Uh, it, it felt like, you know, he's just rusty, Kachin probably wasn't uh, as good as he looked. And then it turned out that Kachin was every bit as good as he looked. Uh, yeah, to, to for a guy who has a bit of a basic game as well like he you know he he doesn't actually do that much it feels <laughs> of course he's got the, like the service pretty underrated the the base end game is high quality but it just never occurred i think to anyone that that pedro Kachin could not only break the top 100 but you know finish in like the top top 60 it's just completely absurd but at the same time with the way he played this summer it's it's not like he is there for you know by accident uh, the, the sort of uh, huge, uh, huge continuous results on the Challenger Tour. I think, uh, you know, he made like, what, seven finals in uh, four months, more or less. 
I uh, was, yeah, it was just insane to witness. It's definitely one of the stories of the year. I do uh, really regret that he's not nominated for the whole ATP Tour Awards in Most Improved mm-hmm. because I legit f- thought he could be. Uh, I, yeah. I I think, you know, players who are there like Alcaraz, Rune, I'm I'm not sure they even you know they can touch him <laughs> because yeah that that was that was just something no one ever uh, was able to to predict foresee and and yeah the improvement that Kachin made this year was just insane. Uh, again, until until March, he has some chances to go up in the rankings. We'll see how he handles it. I mean, well, we'll see how he handles the main tour because yeah, so far there's been some. Okay, sides, but of course, off um, off clay, it's gonna be hard for him. Unless, like at the U.S. Open, he gets Holt and Badena in the in the first two rounds. Well, he's not gonna get Badena because Badena has retired. So, yeah, it's it's incredible um, his his journey. Um, yeah, it's just just so unexpected. Um, a, a big testament, I think, to where he was coming into the season is the fact that he played Bundesliga and the Swiss League in the summer. Like he was, <laughs> that's what he was, I think, presumably scheduled for or something at the beginning of the year, because uh, that's just where he was as 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 a player, really uh, playing those type of events. Now he's in the top sixty. He made the third round at the U.S. Open, of course, as as you said, with against two quite weaker opponents maybe than you usually see in in the, in the main draw of Islam and uh, went to fifth set tie breaks with both of them. But I think nonetheless, I'm really, really happy for him. I don't know how much higher he can really go than this. This sort of feels like the, the maximum that we're going to see from Kachin. Uh, but yeah, it, it was it was something really impressive to, to witness. And at number one, uh, not by a big margin at all, at just 26 points, it is Quentin Alice with three titles, four finals losses, nine semifinals, 43 and 10 on the season, 81.1 win percentage, 630 points earned in 13 events, ends the year number 64. What did you think of Alice this year? Yeah, I think one of the best stats to to describe how good he was on the Challenger Tour this year is that even though he played 53 matches, he still ended up with an a, over 80% as you said in the when it comes to win rate 43 and 10 and that's that's just insane you know to to sort of play as much on the challenger tour as he did and at the same time you know just just keep keep winning of course he didn't actually play that many events but you know he he scored uh, he scored a lot of wins in them uh of course he also had some very dry spells on the main tour uh, which yeah perhaps kind of tells you that maybe this isn't that repeatable uh but yeah also i i, I am uh, definitely very it's super nice to see because this was a guy who had a carry high of 102 before this year and um while it seemed pretty obvious that he, he does have the 100 potential you know if you if you got to 102 of course you have it uh, but uh yeah he was never able to again just mentally be good enough and uh, I think we've talked about it at the, at the end of, at the end of 2021 that Alice was one of the players who at in in the second half of that year showed some you know extremely good level, but he was just kept losing these matches where he was blowing match points, and then suddenly he turned into a beast mentally. Uh, there were these matches like the the final against uh, Berankis in Lille where he was saving 
hundreds of breakpoints. Suddenly, he when he got on that hot streak, he was even you know good in all the things that before that couldn't didn't really work for him. Uh, it's a it's a bit of a shame maybe that he didn't do more in the indoor season on the ATP tour at the end of it. But you know it was just three events I guess or maybe four. But maybe maybe the beginning of 2023 can be better for him because you know if, if he is to succeed on the main tour it's probably going to be indoors and of course he was mostly good indoors uh, on the challenger tour as well with a couple of good runs on clay which actually secured his top 100 spot uh but yeah that was that was a pretty insane season and and for for the amount of matches that he played to still keep uh to still keep winning more than four out of five is is insane yeah, it was a mightily impressive season for him throughout. Uh, the fact that he sort of came back after this, uh, you know, an un- unimpressive period of results on the main tour and still uh, delivered on the challengers, went to the final in, in Orléans, won East Manning, maybe not the toughest matches in, in every single round, but uh, very impressive. And yeah, it's, it's going to be tough for him in the first four months of the next season. He has so many points to defend. Uh, but yeah, we'll, he'll probably try and do it on the main tour, I assume, uh, until we get to the, the French uh, challengers. And then, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see if he can do it at all for, for next year, at least. Um, all right, we can go over to the doubles, where um, just quickly, uh, we can mention the best Brazilian uh, was uh, Romboli alongside Dardelli. Uh, they won two titles together, but they were down at, at number twenty-three, which was quite a surprise compared to uh, last year's Brazilians, who were who were a lot better. Uh, as for alternates, we had Arendt and Pell at uh, the tenth spot with three titles, three finals losses, twenty-five and ten on the season, five hundred fifty-five points. Uh, the other alternates were the Sabanov brothers, uh, who had a bit of a down year, maybe just the one title. Four finals, 31 and 21 on the season, and 561 points and 22 challengers. Of course, reached the, reached the final of Houston, so they are top 100 doubles players at the moment. Um, but going to the main uh, field that we have, the eighth seed is Balaji and Nedumchejan, who won two challenger titles, no finals. They made so many semis <laughs> uh, throughout the season. It is insane, I think. Um, they were 30 and 17 on the year, 581 points in 19 challengers, finished a number of 115 and 114. What did you think of them this year? Yeah, a great year for Indian doubles. I think there's going to be one more pair coming. The you know, Rankumar Ramanathan had a couple of great results as well. Uh, somehow the all the Indian doubles players were were so good this year. Uh, from what I can see, Balaji and Nadunhezian actually uh you know they played sporadically with each other before this year but never never did it you know on, on an almost full-time basis this time they played um uh, you know, what 19 events with each other and obviously it paid off so much uh, and Yevan Nedhezian has actually made a fantastic achievement this year in making me learn how to spell his name without looking it up uh, which he was never <laughs> he was never able to do that before. But you know, he, I, I was uh, talking about him and writing his name enough this year that uh, that at some point I actually learned it and I can now uh, spell it without any issues. So um, yeah, I think that that's that's a pretty nice achievement for him that he probably he probably doesn't know about it. But uh, I guess the biggest thing about them both is that last year they were pretty unimpressive on the tour, and yeah. Mm-hmm. 
this time this time it definitely clicked for them especially when they play when they started playing together at number seven we have Guido Andreozzi and Guillermo Turan seven challenger titles two other finals that they lost 39 and six on the challenger tour 86.7 win percentage which is wild 669 points just in 13 challengers uh, Andreozzi finishes the year at number 109 Duran finishes at 78 in the rankings what did you think of their year? Yeah, 40 and 7 for the year. Uh, of course, there's a bit of an asterisk with the fact that uh, most of their events weren't in Europe and generally the South American challengers were you know, weaker, but they were just, you know, they were killing everyone in there. Uh, they just didn't give anyone else a chance, uh, even if most of these events only carry like three or four pairings that are um well that are you know just regular doubles guys not not uh some random sing lists uh they still just dominated it to to uh, to a great extent uh yeah they're probably going to be playing on the main tour next year right or, or i don't know maybe we'll see how andreotzi actually you know schedules because that's a big deal as well but the, the thing is that of course andreotzi was out between january and uh, june so yeah, until June, they have so many. So at least Andreozzi has a lot of uh, opportunities to gain gain points. I think Duran is uh, a bit higher up in the rankings because, well, he played during that time. Just wasn't as successful, of course, as uh, as with Andreozzi. He uh, Duran, yeah. I think, won yeah. nine challenger titles overall this year, which is second to only two guys that we're going to be discussing much further, much later. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they took advantage of those South American uh, challengers. Uh, Nedum Chijian and Belagi actually tried to do that, uh, but sort of failed. Not not really failed. I mean, they reached so many centers, and it, and it's a big part of of why uh, they are in this top eight. Uh, but failed to win a title, which was a bit surprising. Andreotti and Duran dominated there. I mean, seven, seven titles since June. If if we didn't have a certain different pairing that we're going to talk about later, I feel like that would be talked about a lot more even though yep. if, even if opposition wasn't uh, always the most impressive in there at number six we have Edler and Midler with four titles three finals 34 and 14 on the year a 70.8 percent win percentage 746 points in 80 in 18 challengers and they finish as number 51 and 55 in the rankings due to their Vienna title which they also earned. What did you think of Edla that I mean led this season? Yeah, very regular pairing since last year, of course. Uh, they also again managed to win a main tour title along with all the I... challengers, which is which is pretty crazy. Uh, Vienna this time, even an ATP 500. And yeah, they just established themselves as one of the, the top pairings on the Challenger Tour. Whenever we see them on the Challenger Tour, we, we know that they're probably going to do well. We know that they're among the favorites. Even if Adler is, you know, losing 20 matches in singles in a row, it seems like it doesn't translate to his doubles at all. So, uh, well, yeah, that, that's that's really all there is to say. Almost, they're they're both almost top fifteen doubles, which is, is yeah. pretty crazy as well. Uh, at number five, we have Yuki Bambri and Saket Mineni, five titles and one final loss, uh, forty-one and thirteen on the year, seventy-five point nine percent win percentage, seven hundred and fifty-four points earned in eighteen challengers. They finished the year at number nine, number ninety-six and eighty-four um, in the in the rankings. Yeah, as we as we said about the Indian um, doubles, 
thriving. Hmm? Yeah, what did you think of Bamri Aminani? As we said about the Indian doubles thriving this year, this was also one of the cases. And similarly to Andreozzi, right? Bambri, we expected him to, to make a full-on comeback in singles and he starts playing doubles and we can't even say that it was a bad decision or anything. <laughs> and they also weren't playing much with each other before this year. They they basically just played a couple of events. In 2021, they actually went unbeaten, but it was just a couple of uh, ITF events. Bambri, in fact, was never much of a doubles player at all. And yet right now he found a, you know, a completely different career in, the, in this. Maybe, maybe he's actually not going to, you know, uh, return to singles full-time maybe this is the way to go for him you know and, and basically one year of going full-time doubles he's already into the top 100 so there's clearly something there for him if he if he wants it yeah i mean it, it reminds me of somebody for example like adam pavlasek who is someone mm-hmm. we saw all year perform very well uh with different partners though so he's not going to be talked about in this episode very much uh, but yeah, also a, a very talented singles player who adapted into doubles and is doing it very well. Bambri and Mineni uh, ripped off some great ITF results to to start together um, to you know get Bambri going even uh, in the rankings, and they continued a very strong campaign throughout the throughout the challengers. So quite impressive. Yeah, and Pavlashek like Bambri also did it like out of necessity more than right, yeah. uh, you know, because of all the health issues. So similarly to Bambri also. Yeah. Uh, next we have Hidalgo and Rodriguez at number four, five titles, uh, six finals that they lost, so eleven total finals that they reached this season. Forty-three and thirteen on uh, the Challenger Tour, seventy-six point eight win percentage. 835 points in 18 challengers. They finish at number 80 and 82. What did you think of Hidalgo and Rodriguez? Yeah, if they had the final efficiency, final sufficiency of uh, cash and pattern, that maybe they would have been number one. Uh, but yeah, it, it shows you just how good with their, their first half of the year was, especially. And, you know, that they, they were actually one of the pairs who uh, started playing on the main tour only around uh, September or something like that. Uh, so that they already got the rankings to like the top 80 and didn't need it anymore. Uh, before this year, they also only only played for a bit in 2021. Uh, so so definitely hit it off extremely well. And yeah, Rodriguez, I think, has been like a, pretty much a double specialist for a couple of years now. Hidalgo as well. So uh, it, it's it's we often talk about the fact that on the Challenger Tour, there's no... Uh, you know, pairings that play with each other that much. But, you know, looking at this list, there's actually a lot of successful ones and and they're definitely one of them as well. Yeah, Hidalgo and Rodriguez had a very strong uh, season on the Challenger Tour. The first half, as you said, uh, initially dominated mostly these South American Challengers. Then they switched it over to Europe and continued to perform there as well, very, very well against uh, maybe a a bit tougher opposition. On the main tour, it wasn't great. Uh, but we'll see what they do on the main tour uh, on on clay. Uh, I think that's the the best service for them for sure. Um, and at number three, we have Dubia and Rebul, uh, who have won five challenger titles together, three finals losses, forty one and sixteen on the season, eight hundred and fifty three points in seventeen challengers. They finished number fifty nine and fifty four. What did you think of Dubia and Rebul this season? Yeah, our favorite pair because they were also in like the top three last year, right? Maybe even number yeah. one, if I, if I remember correctly, or yeah. number two. Yeah, they, they, they won last year. Yeah. They won last year, yeah. So 
I, I feel like throughout the year, we sort of noticed them less in 2021, but that's probably not because of them. Like, I think that's probably because of the two pairings that are upcoming. Uh, but yeah, as uh, you know, according to the things you mentioned, of course, uh, even though they also had some main tour uh, starts as well, uh, they were still pretty much title contenders whenever they played a challenger tour event and and also uh you know it, it's pretty nice to see a pairing that has actually played with each other for a very long time now and mostly done it on the on the challenger tour of course um yeah pretty much i would say the first year they uh, they started uh like playing with each other a lot was 2019 then 2020 was of course the pandemics but they actually have very similar win-loss records as a team in both 2021 and 2022 with uh with one uh, both one win and one loss less this year yeah uh Dubia also suffered an injury i think for for, mm-hmm. for about a month or two season, which which slowed them down a bit because uh, last year they mostly got to to being number one by just playing like so many events together. Yeah, they they didn't win five last year, right? It was it was it was less, I think, or maybe they did actually. Oh, they actually also won five. No, oh, never mind. Yeah. And so they did it after, uh, this season across seventeen events, and then last year it was twenty two events that they got points from, but they they might have had some first round losses as well. Um. But yeah, do be able. They have rankings for uh, you know top tour, like uh, from uh, for for the main tour, pretty much. Yeah. As for Red Bull's whole Instagram thing, we'll we'll see what comes of that. <laughs> <laughs> pretty uh, unexpected, and um, you know, is it real? Is it fake? Uh, we don't really know at this point. Uh, there are there is some suggestion that it is fake due to like Rinderknecht's emoji, but then we're reading into emojis on in comments. So yeah, if you don't know what uh, Jakob is talking about, Rebel basically posted um, an Instagram photo where he's kissing another French player, Maxim Broville, I think. And uh, yeah, just everyone is wondering whether it's actually you know whether he's actually gay or not. Uh, you know, it, it, it is a pretty big deal, I guess, because people generally think that in the ATP there hasn't been any openly gay players, and you know, the the society in the tennis world uh, on the ATP side is generally thought to sort of be, uh, you know, it, it's thought that maybe gay players would be ostracized if 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 someone came out. So yeah, that's why that's why uh, it's it's a pretty. Uh, <laughs> a uh, fresh topic because it was just a couple of days ago when we are recording this maybe when you're listening to this you're actually going to know already if it was fake or not i don't know <laughs> yeah we'll see we'll see uh yeah we'll, we'll see where it goes our number two was barrientos and reyes varela six challenger titles four finals losses 38 and 10 on the season a 79.2 percent win percentage 895 points uh, for this season across 16 events uh, and the year as number 60 and 64. What did you think of Barrientos and Reyes Varela? Yeah, I guess another example of rising through South America and Mexico, especially, but then they came to Europe and they were just as dominant. So, and they were even good on the main tour. So, uh, you know, perhaps it also just proves that even though these uh, South American Challenger doubles events might sometimes lack the deep uh, field that we can see in Europe, it, it's still, you know, the, the top pairings, if they dominate there, they're going to be good in, in Europe as well. Uh, it's it's not really that much of a difference. And yeah, they even made a main tour final already. 
uh definitely a huge year i can't remember if if uh well because reyes varela was definitely high in the doubles rankings before i think barrientos as well right but uh but this year they 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 started playing with each other they they never played with each other before this year actually and and yeah it's 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 a it's a pretty fantastic pairing and now they they can try the main tour with each other next year yeah, so Reyes Varela has a career high ranking of 49. Uh, Barrientos is at his current highest one uh, at 60. Uh, but yeah, both guys at 35, just decided to team up together. Uh, as you said, dominated sort of weaker fields first, then came to Europe where the, where the fields are a bit deeper uh, and continued to be really, really good. Uh, made the final of Seoul on the main tour. Uh, so yeah, a really impressive year. They would be number one, and they were number one throughout the season for for most of it. Before obviously, the phenomenon hit, uh, and we're going to talk about them now. The number one team in doubles, a challenger doubles, Cash and Patton, ten challenger titles, one just one final loss, uh, forty eight and nine in challengers, an eighty four point two percent win percentage, one thousand one hundred and three points earned across nineteen challenger events. They end the year as number 70 and 69. What did you think of Cash and Patton? Yeah, 65 and 10 for the year. Uh, and they actually started in uh, April. That's, of course, their stats com- uh, combining with it with, it with uh, the main tour and the ITFs. But they played their first challenger, not even their first challenger together, but their first challenger you know, overall, bo- both of them, doubles uh, at least, because Patton played a couple of singles qualies uh, in Surbiton in June. And since then, they won 10 Challenger titles. You know, it, it's scary to think what would happen if they started in January, how awful, how awesome that record would have been. Or actually, it wouldn't be awesome because, you know, they would have won nine or eight or 10 and then go to the main tour. So, you know, maybe it wouldn't even yeah. be much, uh, much higher. Uh, but yeah, it, it is a record for most doubles titles on the Challenger Tour as a team. Uh, the previous one was uh, the Ratiwatana brothers at eight. So yeah, th- this just seems pretty unbeatable. Uh, just a Greek Sport 2020, Greek Sports 2021 achievement in singles. Uh, yeah, it, it's ridiculous to a point where we've been even wondering, and not only not only ourselves. I, I've read it on Twitter as well, where people are wondering whether they can make the ATP finals next year. Perhaps that's very optimistic. Perhaps it's too much, but you know we would be shocked if they don't make major ATP Tour impact next year. I don't know a fine a final in in a two fifty at least, because yeah, the, the the way they dominated the Challenger Tour has probably never really been seen before. At least not over such a prolonged period of time. Because I'm I'm sure that there were pairs who you know dominated the Challenger Tour and then instantly like jumped to the next level and. Cash and Patton, uh, especially for such a new pairing who before then had pretty much no success in either doubles or singles. They're both former collegians. Uh, they, when they started the partnership in April, they were they were like 450. Both of them were were at that sort of ranking in the doubles. And yeah, as as you mentioned, they're now they they finished the year in the top 70. So uh, perhaps the best doubles story that we've ever seen on the Challenger Tour, and that's really it. Yeah, I, I actually just noticed quick correction. They're, they're actually 48 and 7 uh, across Challenger. I, I think it's like 48 and 9, 87.2% win percentage. It is it is incredible. Uh, this dominance of six <laughs> unbelievable months, starting with like huge grass events uh, with, with like doubles teams that will usually play the main tour or, or, or be like amongst the best on the Challengers, then uh, going over to 
North America and dominating throughout. Um, then coming back to finish it in Europe with Andrea and, and Maya, it is it is just incredible what they've done. And if they don't finish like top forty or like top thirty, both of them, I would be quite surprised. I I, I think they should just definitely be amongst like the best fifteen to twenty uh, teams on the main tour next year. Uh, and yeah, that's it for our Challenger Tours finals. I guess we can talk about who we think we would would, would like win uh, these events, okay. <laughs> hypothetical events. Uh, for doubles, I think it's pretty obvious that Cash and Patton would be the favorites. Okay. Where are we hosting them? Have- like, is it is it still uh, you know South America in oh, their play? Yeah. So 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 I think despite that, they will be the main favorites. Although the the clay uh, might be more favoring to some of the other teams. What do you think? Yeah, we've just seen them on indoor clay in Maya. I, I'm not sure if they would do it in like an outdoor clay event, but since the ATP Challenger Tour finals were held indoors, I think, yeah, they're, they're probably the main favorites with the form they've just left. And of course, um, you know, Maya, uh, a very high quality event for the last event, for the last, uh, um, you know, tournament of the year. Uh, them beating Yebens and Shell and uh, Kubo de Valkov and Borges Cabral, I think, yeah, that's that's probably enough to uh, say that they're favorites. Uh, when it comes to the singles, um, it's a little tougher, right? Who who the hell here plays well indoors on clay? Because of course Alice would be a great candidate indoors. Um, you probably have to look at Echeverry, even though he's also better outdoors. You maybe even have to look at Kachin even though he slowed down in recent weeks is that also where your uh you know where your thoughts are going when seeing this field yeah i i think we sort of have to discredit the 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 lower guys who are amazing on on hard and indoor yeah. hard but on clay we don't see them do this shelton pospicil probably even gomez we will we, we'll sort of take out of contention kachin i think is the main favorite echeverry would have okay. a great chance uh, so I mean, and at least it's, it's tough to predict what they would look like on on indoor clay. I don't remember really seeing them on indoor clay. I think Alice um, would probably like it, right? I mean, he he's not that bad on clay. In neither yeah. neither is Lestien, but it just seems like Alice's serve would just get such a major boost. Of course, this is also one of the reasons that the Challenger Tour finals were discontinued. Like, there's no way Ben Shelton is gonna go there to to Brazil to play on indoor clay. They have to pay him so much money. I, I can't yeah. even imagine. <laughs> yeah, it's, it it just wasn't really the the right choice of surface. Uh, but you know that that was what the the sponsor of the event wanted, and uh, you know the, the sponsor was Brazilian, so uh, that's why it, it was like that. Um, but yeah, in our hypothetical world where all of these players make it to Brazil to an indoor clay venue, uh, which changed almost every year. We, I, yeah, I'd agree that Kachin, Echeverry, and perhaps Alice are would probably be the favorites. And this is where we're gonna finish for the episode one of the season uh, review. Uh, we're gonna be back next week with a lot of interesting stuff. Not really like you know, this was only the Challenger Tour finals. Then we're gonna have a lot of smaller sections. If you listened to it last year, you're, you're gonna more or less know what we're gonna talk about. But there's also some new stuff. So you know, make sure to come back. And thanks for listening. Bye.
Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. 